This is part two of an interview conducted by myself, Erin Brannigan, with Sydney-based choreographer Vicky Van Hooch in January 2019. The interview accompanies an exhibition featuring Vicky in response dialogues with Real Time. Presented in the fifth floor gallery of the Library at the University of New South Wales and curated by myself in collaboration with the artists, the exhibition marks the closure of Real Time magazine, Australia's critical guide to national and international contemporary arts since 1994, and the launch of its archive. Earlier on, you, you spoke a little bit about um, the role of, I guess, Indigenous protocols or responsibilities to your, your community, creating work for your family. Um, and this question of Indigenous protocols is really, I think, at the centre of a lot of your recent work. Yes, it is. And I remember having a fantastic talk with you at, um, at a cafe and you were explaining your ideas behind um, uh, the recent work, Talk Talk. And I, I just wondered if you could talk a bit about um, your relationship with those Indigenous protocols. And I just wanted to read out something that you've written. Um, what happens if I want to use my collective embodied knowledge to illustrate a non-specific Indigenous concept? What if I want to use my hybrid language to illustrate something unsavoury, unpopular or controversial? And you also say <clears throat> it's a birthright, but not only a birthright. It's living an obligation defined by what you do. You are what you do. I just wondered if you could talk a bit about your relationship with these, um, the Indigenous protocols that you have to work with and, and how, you're, how you're negotiating them within the work. Uh, so, you know when you make a work and you're, well, isn't this a given? When you make a work and you're, you're given free reign to do whatever you want to, it's actually more daunting because you're given free reign. You could make a work about anything. Well, it might not be daunting, but it's harder to find a... It's not harder to find a starting place, but it's you've got so many more things to consider because there are no uh, roadblocks. There's, no, there's nothing to resist. Whereas you've got a lot of roadblocks. So, and I'm, I shouldn't call them roadblocks, but there are, because that's what they, they're obligations. So the obligations, or the, the obligations are that I have to consider, I have to consider what the languages that I've been taught in my body, I have to consider what they mean for other, what are the ramifications for those people who who uh, are custodians of where it began. Whether, but it doesn't mean the same thing for me, even when I go there and I go to the places. So if I learn a dance at NASDA or if I learn to dance at NASDA, from the people who are, you know, at, it's their ancestral lineage, and even if we go and we dance in situ and we're, we're performing, it never means the same thing for us. As it means for them, for them it's evidence of a lineage, and for them it's evidence of a lineage, or it's evidence of a lineage in that place. For me, it's a circuitous lineage. It's and it has it's a different history for me. So, it's uh, it's an honour, but after a while, it's it's I, it's much like. It's much like the place that I'm acknowledging consciously. This is how these 
different things occur in my body. But you know that as a dancer, that when we're dancing, dependent on the style of dance we're doing, it brings up a lot of, it brings up a lot of emotive, or not even emotive, it brings up a lot of intuitive strings. There are a lot of ramifications in the body. If I'm doing a jazz class, I have a jazz feel. Every, because I know the history, I might think of African-American root, roots. I might think of all of those things. But then I also might think about where I was when I was doing a jazz dance. I might think of leg warmers and I might think of all that. So I'm dancing, as I'm dancing, that history is unfolding. And so as I'm dancing those other dances, the way I'm meant to feel or the way I'm meant to, you know, because when you're dancing those dances, you are embodying because it's, you're given... You're given layers of information as you're doing those dances because you're told how to perform those dances. You're told in what context, what they mean in the context of the people that you're doing them. I just remember once we were doing some dances from Elko Island and we were all on a cricket ground and Heather and Tony were watching. And at first he said, oh, if you all do it really well, we'll go to the coffee shop and have a cafe latte. <laughs> it was really funny because that's how he... Sees what we do Tony in the who? city. Uh, I forget. Oh, Tony. I can't pronounce his last name. That's terrible. He was the Tony and Heather, uh, husband and wife, and they are the. Um, they were the um, tutors that come came down. So I'll find out their names. Yes, I will find out their last name. I just can't pronounce it at the moment. And anyway, so. You know, they were watching and they said, Yes, we'll and we'll all go for a we'll all go for a cafe latte after. It's very funny. Then halfway through he said No he got cranky, but because he has an accent as well, nobody could understand what he was saying. He was like, Ah oh, No, you're not doing it good. It's not good. And then half then he started, he was losing it. Ah, oh, you wanna do this fucking proper yeah, and he was swearing it, but nobody could really hear that he was swearing, and he was losing it. You could see that he was getting really cranky, and he was like, "Ah, oh, look, your legs are really lazy," and he kept on swearing and everything, and so you could see, oh my God, the dance for him. He, it's not just dancing. He was offended, not just because. I think he was offended because he didn't realise the investment. And then even sometimes when Heather would look at him, she would hate our dancing. She was going, no, if we're going to communicate, you speak to me in your language, not English. Oh, they would lose it and because the investment was high. And I think it was because in their way they were telling us, you're not, your investment is very low. Yeah. You've got very low expectations of doing the dance and I think watching them do lose it you could see that this was the very essence of who they were we they were we couldn't fully appreciate their or the young ones there couldn't fully fully appreciate their generosity they just couldn't no, yeah they just can't and so I understand you know so for a long time the was that the Mornington Island dancers weren't danced at Maester because too many people were just going off and doing Mornington Island dance. And when they were going off and doing Mornington Island dance, because there is a lot of um, 
Dancers do travel. It depends on the context in which they travel. And I, because I remember I was doing a workshop and it was with Critical Path and it was with Woonan. It was with Woonan Williams. So I was doing the dance with, I was doing a workshop with him and I even told him, he was in the room and I said, and so now Woonan, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the other contemporary premises. But I had him come in because I had been learning, I'd been taught Mornington Island dances before from another one called that one Pelican uh, last name Lanley so I taught I'd been taught those dances but I wanted to show in front of Woonan what I had how I operate and he said to me oh my god I wouldn't dance the Captain Cook so why did you do that with my dancers in the middle of the workshop front of the audience I got it on video somewhere why do you do that I wouldn't dance the Captain Cook why are you doing this because I thought he was he knew what I was doing obviously he didn't fully comprehend because he'd just seen his dance cut up mm. as a unit of vocabulary mm. but I think it was really important to have him there I didn't mean to railroad him and it was good that he felt confident to, to show me yeah and then he saw how other people, because then I had to show other people what we'd been doing, and he saw how, oh, no, I think it was as part of the showing he said that. I don't even know if people were, yeah, no. And it's just very interesting. Because all the people were there, they saw it. I had a workshop. I was just doing it. And, you know, we did that with Torres Strait Islander stuff as well because we had uh, Percy, Jack, Jack and I come in and teach us um, a dance that he'd made up so that they're all passed away except for Dujon Nui. Jimmy Gagai, Percy Jack and I, and Dujon Nui made a dance. It was a, a dance about AIDT and when they were based in Glebe. And so in language they sing in the song, you know, they talk about Glebe Point. You know, we dance, our feet move like thunder as we, early in the morning we, as we warm up, you know. So when you go, uh, so that's your feet moving like thunder. And so, you know, I wanted them to see what we do as a part of the contemporary process. It just was very confronting and very interesting. Also, when I'd done something, the thong dance, at, as part of dance, the dance awards. Oh, it was a hit in the dance awards because they were like, oh, flip-flop. I remember hearing some people go, oh, flip-flops. And they, but, you know, um, Jakapura afterwards, he came up to me and he just looked at me. He didn't say anything. He just looked at me and he didn't look at me kindly either. And then after that, Kathy Marika came up to me and she goes, oh, yeah, hmm. Because, you know, everybody laughed when we said to be one of us, you must smell like us. I placed my sweat on you. So that was Rosalie Pearson offered that. But then Rosalie Pearson wasn't in that cast because I'd had a bust up with Rosalie. So Rosie was somewhere else, but I had said those words. Well, it, you know, Kathy Marika came up to me and she goes, oh, yeah, we do that. And I said, yeah, yeah. Um, the, Rosie offered this for this dance, you know. So I didn't get into the politics, Rosie. Did you get permission? I just, you know, they're her 
Yeah. That was Rosie's input. And I just figured because she was in her 30s, Rosie knew where that was coming from and what that meant. And she knew the ramifications. But it was really interesting to get those two different, one person laughing and one person oh, face like stone. There was, there's been other times where things like that have happened as well. When, when I, so I made the work on the, uh, the students, the second year BA students at WAPA, Seven Sisters, and I had people doing shake a leg and doing different steps. And there was one woman in Perth and she said, no, I would never have, this is offensive to have women doing this kind of movement. I said, but it's a contemporary context. She goes, doesn't matter what context. And because I never had, and there was no, there were no Aboriginal people in that cast. So I, because I, we'd done it as part of the, so this is why it was interesting, because we'd done it as part of the WAPA students showcase. But then I was asked to perform for uh, the NAIDOC week celebrations. So instead, and I said, instead of me performing, you give me that, you give me the stipend or whatever. And I will dole it out to the students. So every student got 200 bucks or something. And they performed, or 120, 200 bucks, 120 bucks. So they performed. And so what was really interesting is that it was non-Indigenous people performing in NAIDOC week, Aboriginal steps of both genders, and they were swapping genders. So, you know, I'm, I'm pushing at the same time. But I do feel the obligation, but... They have to know that when they pass that on... So I, a part of that obligation is for them to realise that as soon as they pass that on, it's going to mean different p things for different people. So I feel like I'm, in a way, I'm their testing ground. And also when I'm at NASDA, so I made a work at NASDA and I think they work at NASDA... Uh, was it, it was using... It was talking about... Because when I was at Elko Island this one time, I saw... Uh, a Telstra helicopter come in and fix the one, the telephone box, fix, come in, fly in and fix it while I was there. I was like, this is so surreal to watch a telephone. And also, if you had Optus, no, you know, if you had Vodafone, ha, 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 good luck. So you only, you could only have Telstra. They were the only, you know, they were the only telco that had enough bandwidth or whatever to, to pick it up. And so what was really interesting is that I made this work and I think it was Dirt Dancers. It was something about Dirt Disco and I made this whole thing and it started off with, you know, somebody using a mobile phone but having no reception. So, you know what, we basically just used cans. So, <laughs> we, so what we did is we had a telephone line, a curly telephone line and cans on either side and the dancers were just talking to each other with the cans. You know what I mean? And, and it was all – and it was about – so it was about how they conduct themselves. So – also, one of the things is that the women never put their underwear on the, on the clothesline. What they do is their bras and undies go underneath other clothing and you put that up on the line. Uh. So I had all of these different things embedded in that work. But you know what? Again, Heather and Tony laughed because they were there and saw me making the work. So it's really interesting, you know, that they've... They they are much more accepting because they've been to NASDA, they've seen how things happen, so you know they've had a little bit more of a lead lead in, you know what I mean? And then they always and then the following Gar we went to the Garma Festival, when they finished when the when Galawinku finished their performance, they bowed. 
No other people bowed. <laughs> this is really interesting. Yeah. They're doing all their traditional dances and then all of a sudden the people from Galawinku all in a line. One, two, three. Bow. Never happened before. This is the bungal, you know, where all these people are dancing. Mm. So it just is really interesting. It was reciprocal. Mm. They'd picked up things from Western theatre and all of a sudden that became part of the, their thing. Heather and Tony do that now. They bow after their performance. Yeah, we're good. Let's bow. And I don't know if it's because they're taking the piss, because they could be taking the piss as well, like the cafe latte. Here, you white people, I will bow for my performance. You just never know because Tony is very funny. He's very clued in. Mm. So you just never know if he's making fun of us or if he's doing it in earnest. Yeah. So you've put... But he's engaging with contemporary... See, he's yeah. engaging with it. And also Elko Island is where the chookie dancers mm. come from. Mm. So their, their, their understanding of what contemporary theatre can do for them is different to the other Jungle places mm. sometimes. Mm. So you have that moment in Plenty Serious Talk Talk where you're talking to, you're talking to somebody on the phone. Yeah, that's Etta. That's Etta. And you, you, you bring up this issue of what if I want to sell my indigeneity? Oh, no, that's Marion. That's Marion, right. Yeah. And we were going to do that live, actually, but we just never got around to it because, you know, time was tight. And the kind of responses that you get from people on the phone to what you're saying, like the provocation yeah. is recorded and presented so we can all kind of relive these, you know, shocks that people feel and it's doubled in this kind of really interesting way. But can you talk now? Edda was still really uh, – <laughs> some of them, because I asked them about that as well, and Edda said, oh, my God um, – or was it Kalina said to me, you know, some people will get really uh, offended because you've told them how we get free dental. Because you have to go to you have to go three times to the AMS before you can get free dental. And I was like, oh, if this is how it goes, I'm putting that in there. You know what I mean? And and so some secret, uh, some of the secret machinations of the AMS in Redfern are embedded in that. And I think that's really interesting. And so. You know, what is secret? How do we, you know, those sorts of things as well because other people know how you're meant to behave. Etta speaks about that in her talk. You can't, we can't run ourselves down because other people do it already. And so when I was doing long grass, I wasn't running us down. I was just putting it out there and going, oh, it's hideous, isn't it? Because it, you can't glorify it too much or else then you're exoticising it. So I, that's why long grass was really hard for me. Either I'm exoticising or I'm showing you something horrific. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, I told you I, I fainted in it, ended up with my head between my knees. Because it wasn't just, it was the fight scene and you'd had to recast because Tommy, Tommy yeah, yeah. himself. And it was a man and a woman fighting and she was already sick, the female character. But yeah. it, of course it wasn't just <clears throat> watching something violent and upsetting. It was the whole, it was the whole me as a, as a white Australian watching this. And I, I had this very visceral, physical response it was extraordinary that's why Etta walked out you know Etta walked out and right. so did Maria Randall they both walked out of the show and that, and also because see so she talks about elements of that in the weekend but she kind of skims over it okay. to see it really happening and to see people with busted faces and to see somebody really like to see somebody small go hell-bent for leather is quite it is confronting mm -hmm. but it's a reality and we never ever we don't hear about we don't see it mm. yeah so it was hard for me where do I do do I just put it out there because then I'm not what I, where's the art in that because mm. that's another thing as well 
you lose the art for the earnest statement or whatever. Mm. So that was hard, mm. you know. You've been developing this this curriculum for NASA and you're developing your choreographic work. And it seems like these questions around protocol go right down to this level of, yeah. of movement vocabulary and how you can start to mash things up and, and combine things. And it just made me think about, you know, people like um, Martha Graham who might develop an exercise in the classroom but then it also appears in her choreography or, or she might make something for the stage and then it becomes a training system. Yes, so maybe it starts off in the... I think it used to start off in the classroom. To It used to start off in the classroom, but now more than anything it starts off in the choreographic pra practice. It started off in the classroom because I was consolidating things that I'd been taught and I was trying to, you know, find a way that... I was really responding to... I was really responding to Amanda Card. How can I... How can I create so that... This is how it started. How can I create the same kind of satisfaction in terms of physical virtuosity using the Indigenous premises? So instead of going, right, I'll, do, I'll punctuate with Indigenous dance and I will, and I, the, physical, the physical virtuosity will be expressed through Martha Graham or through those other things. That's how it was. Physical virtuosity, punctuation. But then I started to look at the mechanics so I started to look at the similarities between, say, and that's controversial as well, a cup car, which is your body is a little bit pitched forward and you're doing the same kind of movement as a part of shah. So you're lifting the legs up, you know, lifting the legs up quickly. But in a, in a cup car, the legs, the legs are, the feet are flexed. So your body is pitched forward, the legs are flexed and you've got a little tiny... Um, contraction happening in your stomach as you lift the legs and they're quite I think the up and down is actually sharper whereas when you're doing a part when you're executing a part of shah you want to get as much airtime. Mm. so you're going up whereas in the in the cub car it's the up and the down it, the down is that the up same? yeah flick 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 it, the up and the down are actually equal in that one. Yes. Because the down, yeah, the up and the down are equal. Whereas in a Padishah, the up, there's more emphasis on that. Also, in a cup car, there's a double bounce. You never double bounce. You know, you just go one plie and you're up. For, that's your prep for a um, Padishah. For a cup car, you can either bounce, so you lift your, you lift your heels... And then you re-establish your plie before you... Mm -hmm. The bend in the knees before you execute it. So there's always a beat in between. Yeah. So it's it, it's quite interesting. Like you're breaking some of the rules... Some of those classical European rules when you're doing a cup car. But there's similar mechanics. So then also I was looking at frappes and young women's um, locomotion... And so they call it balancing step sometimes. They call it a woman's balancing step. So where you're, you're picking up the foot and you're, you're stepping forward. Mm -hmm. but, you're, but the action of flicking is almost akin to the act of beating the leg before, you're, you, before you point it out or whatever. When you're doing, uh, what is it? Yeah, frappe. Uh, batter, uh, what are, oh, God. Strikes. What are the strikes? You've got frappes. Then you've got... Batemont. 
Yeah, uh, I think they are part of what fat bikes, aren't they? I can't remember. When you're when you're going hit, hit. Yeah. Yeah. So, Frappes, yeah. Yeah, frappes. Because you've got the batu and the yeah. To anyway. cut. Yes. Strike. Strike. Yes. So anyway, coupe is to coupe. Yeah. All of those odds. Because <laughs> I find that really interesting. So the mechanics, there's something about the mechanics. So I used to I'm I like so it was about so it was about looking at the mechanics, so it became very physical, like the initial exploration became about what do I see in that and what, where are the similarities and how can I go from here to that or how can I extend the traditional looking at something so then how how would I express say a balancing step on, on in a cross on qua how would I move it sideways how if it was a balancing step you know how do I break a balancing step up how do I counterbalancing step? So it started off. It was a very, it was a very dry kind of scientific exploration. Then, you know, people could recognise things. But then after that, so these were my first explorations. And you know, I'm loving also because I love the men's, the dynamic of the men moving because it's like football. It's very uh, there's the quick shift of weight. The women move as a hum together, and the men have this virtuosity. You know. So I quite like this unexpected flight or fight premise. So that really underpinned everything, the flight or fight. You know, when, because I think that's what makes the dance exciting, you know. When do I, when do you lull somebody into a, so it's also about the time. When do you lull somebody into a sense of false security? When do you snap out of that? How can we do in sport, how can we do in dance what we do in sport or in hunting? So that was also something very simple. But then after that, it, pretty soon it became how... And then it became, you know, so if we're looking at mechanics, how then do I explore that? Because that's all standing. How then do I explore that on different levels with different parts of my body? Still quite mechanic. But then after that, it was like how do... Then how do I say... Like anything else, I've got a language... And then how do, I, how do I imbue it with something else? How do I say something else? So then it's looking at... So in long grass, uh, you know, how do I manipulate another person's body to say something? And so we have them... We have Tom partnering, so it was, you know, systems of partnering. So when we have Kalina, who's dead in one scene, and we have Tom manipulating Kalina, doing the different things. So it's... Actually, there it's, it's, it's quite banal, isn't it? But it was very interesting. It's now how do you apply those? What do they say? And so it's also, you know, what do the rhythms, how do I play with the different rhythms? So, you know, I remember Sunny, not Sunny Dallas Law, Sunny, oh, my God, Sunny, so bad, who was with Bangara. Oh, my God, I, I see him on Facebook all the time. He's going to hate me. Um, Sonny, I better get your name soon. Anyway, Sonny saw something I was doing. He goes, it's almost Torres Strait, but it's just wrong. The, the music is wrong. And I knew the music is wrong, but I was kind of like, how do I how do I play with the music so it isn't that thing, but it's evocative. So rather, it evokes those things. It evokes that. Because, uh, you know, the Torres Strait Islander movement is so 
celebratory and it's so it's like you know the 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 element of aboriginal dance is very introspective mm. there's there's an intro, except for you know the young men except when they come out and they punctuate it's very yay i'm a man i'm strong i'm this but when you're a woman and you're performing it's very inter, introspective so, you know, other than that, it's the Torres Strait Islander feel also. So it's the men in the Aboriginal stuff and it's the Torres Strait Islander language which kind of appeals to Western audiences because it's got that thing to it. Mm. So it's, you know, I'm very aware of looking, of utilising that, you know, utilising without the headdress, utilising how the head moves without a durry, without a Torres Strait headdress. How does that move? And then how can I manipulate, so, you know, I've done a few exercises with Martin Delano, how can I break that down so it doesn't look like I'm moving a, a dari, but I know, I know where that comes mm. from. So it's like how do I move so far that the people where it came from don't recognise it, mm. but somehow people still do recognise the yeah. movement. I mean, it's interesting you're saying, you know, it's dry and banal and, and on a certain level it is, but... I think what, what is really clear in your work is this rigour that's going on at a compositional and, and sort of movement language level. And that's the distinctiveness of the work. And it's all that, all that rigorous kind of work that you do privately and, and you know, working this, this out, which actually makes the work so extraordinary and the contribution to kind of, you know, extending what's possible with, with this sort of... Uh, working between these two worlds of independent dance and, and indigenous dance. Longgrass was interesting because it was the first time I was playing with a different notion of time. I think it it challenged a lot of people because I said, "How can I be bored? Like, how can I show that time is passing and nothing is happening before the audience gets really bored?" So the first, because I remember Gary Lester saying to me, "Get rid of the first twenty minutes," and I try to tighten up the first bit to make it move a little bit faster but I was like oh that's like so this is what is really interesting as well because we have a feel for how fast things are meant to move so it was really a challenge for people to accept how slow things were moving in the first part of long grass mm. but I really wanted to see how how slow can you take things and how bored how boring or how nothing can you be before something happens so these are more these were the more interesting explorations so the dance, the physicality houses those other investigations. Mm. So really, because anyone can make up movement really quickly, you can make up different systems of movement, but it's the other considerations, the other considerations that are really exciting. You know what I mean? The repetition in brilliant, you know, and, you know, the other, you know, and then trying to embed other bits of information. But really with long grass, it was time. And with Le Festivity and Le Festivity, Le Buffier and Plenty Serious Talk Talk, it's more about I, what I quite like in those ones is the performative voice. When am I Vicky and when am I performing? I, did, I think I did that better with Le Festivité, but it still is, you know, coming into and going out of the performative. Like I'm performing myself, but I'm performing another, like I'm always performing but I'm performing a different level of myself or a different performative self. So I think so those so but I'm aware that I want this physicality because I want to say this is an uh, the physicality at a very base level is saying this is the body that is telling you that. 
You know what I mean? And, and I still believe, even though it's very archaic to say, you know, to have a Martha Graham or to have a something, it's very archaic. But you know what? We get excited by different aesthetics. That's how come everybody's house doesn't look the same. Or, you know, because, you know, in your house you have, you've de like, even the way you put out, yeah, the way you presented everything and your chip bowl was here and it was on a beautiful diagonal. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't want to ruin it. Like, there is a sense of that. And so I think, you know, when, the thing that gets me with the postmodernist thing is that we underestimate, but then we negate aesthetic. It's like the aesthetic has no place. Was that part of the no manifesto? There is no aesthetic? I didn't see that written in there. Because there is an aesthetic, you know, when I go and do one of Tester Quincy's improvisational things, all of a sudden I'm speaking, I'm doing improvisation speak. It doesn't matter who I am, I am still doing the same. We, when we do contact improvisation, we are still somehow always doing contact improvisation. Yeah, of course. We are still rubbing up against each other's bodies the same we would always do it. You don't come in as a tap dancer and go, right, I'm doing contact. I'm going to contact you with my tap. Tap, 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 tap. You don't because you know that you're doing contact. Imp you are doing contact improvisation, so you must do that. So I feel like as well when we get back to that, when, when, when you do ballet, people understand when they see it. They might not like it. Uh, I, you know, and we're, I'll tell you, we, we don't have the same kind of debates with hip-hop infiltrating the, um, you know, hip-hop and b-boy moves infiltrating the contemporary space. Because let me tell you, some of the most successful uh, contemporary dancers that, that are coming out or that are touring all have an element of hip-hop. Anthony Hamilton is cleaning up. But you know what? And, he's, and he doesn't apologise for that. No. He doesn't no. say anything about that. No. And he I doesn't mean, even have to make excuses because nobody's asking him to. Well, there, there are... Or are there? I mean, I think there are some broader criticisms of the appropriation of, of African-American B-boy. Have I seen other, it? No, no, no. Not more, more in the social context. And, right. And, yeah. you know, someone like Tommy D. France might call the kids, you know, from the vanilla suburbs... Who are who are who are doing this? You know, so removed from its context and its meaning that it's it's kind of offensive. But in the in the contemporary dance scene, I think you're right. It's it's fair game. But so then, so that's my or, yes. So I so even though there's a part of me that goes like, oh my god, I should be embracing this postmodernist thing. And when I saw, I don't know how much we how we do or don't don't say. When I first saw, because I say it in the, you can put it on, I don't mind. When we when I first saw Joshua Pether's piece, I was like, all right, so he's gone to the nth degree. He's an Aboriginal person saying things, but he's not necessarily using Aboriginal iconography. Nothing looks Aboriginal. His body is Aboriginal. He's an Aboriginal man making this work. You know, the, the concept is, um, you know, uh, Sarah Jane Norman, Norman's concept you know, bringing her blood and working with her blood, uh, their blood, working with their blood, is very, um, there is something about it that resonated a little bit more with me, with Aboriginal practice, you know. No, I don't know. But, and, and Maria even more. So there were, there were steps mm. to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when we say it's all, I don't know. It's, so sometimes what, sometimes what is happening now is that, you know, and so I choose... To, to propagate a, 
a certain aesthetic and it's not everyone's aesthetic and it is a contemporary aesthetic because because if there's not a point of difference physically very soon there will be an assimilation what how are we, what is the point where we're not assimilating it's a very good question where is the assimilate like so that is also an obligation mm. you know i know that was long-winded but that's no, also no, no. an obligation an obligation to make an indigenous presence known now that's a good that's a good in my body yeah place to finish that response yeah. the last thing i wanted to ask you was um about the sculptures in your set designs that you work on and i think it's really interesting the context of the real-time exhibition that we're that we're recording this interview for because as um uh the library representatives have kind of noted you are presenting fundamentally a visual arts contribution so the sculptures in the space um which, which sits perfectly with your practice because you, as you've said in some of your writing, you have an extensive creative practice. It's not just about choreography. You embrace a whole lot of different practices, writing, drama, storytelling and, and sculptural practice. Can you talk specifically about the sculptural practice yep. and where does that come from? What, what, why is it so important in each of your works and what is, what is this durational process of installation too as well? Yeah, so it's about making the environment for the dancers to inhabit. So it all comes from preparing preparing yourself for the dance. So again, it's about framing the dance so that the dance is not just the dance. The dance has, the dance has a lead-up and the dance will go somewhere else. And so the lead-up for me into the dance is really important because whenever I've done any kind of... Uh, whenever I've been invited to do any kind of Indigenous dance... There's been hours of preparation beforehand. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we've, we've gone on quick, but most of the... I, I, so two moments really resonated with me. One in Christmas Creek where we were all taken out to uh, some spin effects in the heat of the day. We were all given Crisco oil to put on our upper bodies. Then our breasts were painted, so we had to take, pull our bras down. Paint, they painted our breasts. Then we put our, bra, we put our bras back up. We sat in the sun a bit more and then we went back and the men danced all night. It got really late. It was cold and I think we danced. And then we were all to get up. So we were all sitting down. We were like, oh, yeah, we're going to bed. It's 10 o'clock. And then it was like, yeah, the women are getting up and we're going to dance. We did one dance. But it was it. Then we went back and we sat down and we drank more tea and put out, like, they didn't even see. That's it. They didn't even see our breast painting. It's just the fact that we did it. We didn't even take our tops off. So it was underneath the bra and underneath. So, you know, it was just how that day was framed. Hours and hours. We waited hours and we were dying to dance. The boys were dancing with their woolly things. They were dancing for hours. We are like, what are we going to dance? Like, this shit. Man, we're coming here. This is bullshit. That's all the women. That's how we were. This is because now you know why I always wanted to be the man. Also, when I was in the Torres Strait, I remember I was staying at, uh, this is when we were on, what island? Couldn't, uh, Saibai, can't worry. We are on Saibai Island. We were getting ready to dance. What happened first? What happened first is my hair got plastered with coconut oil. 
because you know they all have curly nappy hair so you know they get the hair planted in the middle they have the coconut oil so that it, you know they have the beautiful curls i have one ear bigger than the other i think it's one of the ears anyway this ear this ear was sticking out like a wing nut <laughs> then they put a headband on me my hair was lathered in coconut oil it was parted in the middle i said what about if i just have a little part on the side Oh, you look beautiful. Because, you know, they all wanted the straight hair. It was beautiful. It was awful. Wingnut. And then they proceeded to put Christmas decorations around my tinsel, around my neck and around my arms. You know, the tinsel that you put around the Christmas thing. I think it was blue and white. You know, silver, blue and silver, metallic blue and silver tinsel around me. I was... And then... You know, he put on the, then he put on the, my Zazi, the skirt, and the Zazi was done so tight I could hardly breathe. He goes, no, I've got to make you look like a good woman. But, you know, it was all getting ready. And also we had woven our headdresses. We had woven our headdresses. And what we had done is we got this, uh, wasn't coconut leaf, I can't remember what it was. And back then it was purple and cane looking and it was woven. But to make the purple, we got purple copy paper, you know, your tracing paper? Yeah. We've got the purple copy paper and you had to scribble it onto the, you had to scribble it onto these strands so that you could weave them. And and they also went on the inside. So when I had the coconut oil and I had it on <laughs> purple, like it just, it unfolded, you know. And there was a big procession in the dark from our place to where we were going to go and dance. So it was all about getting ready and it was all about, and then it was, you know, and then straight after we danced, it was all about feasting and the order of the people who were going to eat. So it was the guests, no, it was the elders, the guests, uh, the children, and then the hosts. You know, so that's how they fed people. And so, you know, everything was about how you, the dance took up a little part. Mm. And so, and also the, in the... You know, in the other grounds, it was always sweeping the ground to make sure there were no stones or putting sand down so that, you know, it made an impact. You could see the impact. And so then it just became, for me, I think, the the theatre became an opportunity to make the environment the other world that the dancers were going to inhabit. That's how it started. And that started with PAC. That, so for PAC, I made little... Were you in New York for that one? I made the... 2009. Yeah, I made the... Um, I made these ant mounds out of pegs, wooden pegs. Oh, my God, it took thousands. Oh, I'm blue in my apartment. And I remember asking Anthea, do you think you could come over to my place and truck the set in? And she goes, no, it's too late for you. I'm going to the theatre. So I had to, with one of those red, white and blue bags, make more than one. I had to make quite a few trips. And I had to dismantle some of them. And I had to go back and forth to performance space with those red, white, you know, those big red, white and blue suitcases on my back and ride them from my place in Stanmore to Newtown, to performance space in Redford and then ride back, back and forth with these pegs, with these sculptures. But it was, the, yeah, because it was about, you know, the ant mounds were the houses of the ants. And so I was talking about, I think I had, I had a documentary, this is the part that Kevin Pivot didn't like, I had a documentary about baboons when they preen, when they all get together and they preen and they, what it does is it releases not an endorphin but something else that calms them down and they kind of get a little bit drugged. So what the dancers did is 
from the ant mounds, they took some of the pegs and they put them on themselves and then they just plucked the pegs off. They plucked the pegs off and when they plucked the pegs off and put them back on their bodies, then they would just act like they were getting they were getting like drugged out. So they were nodding as they did it, as they did the partnering. Anyway, so you know, there was always, and I think there were 22 rolls of tape, so they had to make the ant trails to the different things. So it was just how animals behave in packs and how humans behave in packs. I think Anthea's first line was, Just the other day, I thought I looked good, you know, special. Then I walked in and saw at least five other people dressed exactly the same as me. How does that happen? And she goes, What? What's anybody got to do to get a head around here? Get it right ahead after them. You know, so that was her thing for that piece. So it was just, yeah, it was just about how people act in packs. And so that was the first time I'd made, I'd conceived of a set. So can you talk about the works that will be in the exhibition? The oh, so I was taking, so two elements of something else before. So I'm making a weaving of a, the one from Plenty Serious Talk Talk. I don't know if it should go in there. I just think that that back space is a bit empty and I couldn't put something else. So I'm, I am kind of dressing the space. So I've made an option and it's a black woven thing. So it could become a lighting thing, but it might compete with the things. But I quite like if it's a lighting thing, just the repetitive nature of it, that it's this digit that might be uh, kind of act as some kind of projected thing you know because of the light and dark space negative and positive space because that's what happened in brilliant and then the cards so i'm definitely doing something with the cards because the river of cards spoke about movement it's the flow of water so the the static thing the static and then the people activate the space so i really want at some stage so we're going to have i'm going to have to think about that for people to engage with the space because I think as it gets awful as it gets messy that's also interesting as well so when we have an opportunity we can also uh, replenish it and I can be there to replenish it you know what I mean at other times but I think to invite people to come and mess the space up to engage with it to make sound to activate it because that's also asking people asking because yeah, all right, so there's a young uh, there's a young if you see at the beginning of Ten Canoes, the movie Ten Canoes, he talks about how all of the people came from the water and returned to the water. And that the, the best part of um, brilliant for me was when some ladies came from Yuindamu. They had been staying at Sally, I don't know Sally's last name, but she, she has people come from Yuindamu all the time. And they actually, there were two ladies that, uh, there's a, a piece, there's a piece of text from that and it's called Just a Dot. And it goes, just a dot. Straight line. <laughs> Crooked more like. Self-made chewed twig brush. I'll swipe that piece dot from your self-made chewed twig brush. What do you think I am? Your dot, dot, dot. Feeling you provide the outline, but I provide the spirit, the time to talk to the ancestors. My hand, my constant, my steady beat. They communicate their, their story through me. So it was about the time you engage with the things. And so this, 
you know, there were the two, di- the two different women. I think it was this man's second wife and she was doing the dots. And it's also about how what they would do is they would put this big painting. So the man did the outline and his second wife was putting the dots, filling it in. And he and she would have it. They would have it on the kitchen table. They would have breakfast on that painting. And then I remember once he dropped a. I think he accidentally spilled a cup of tea on the painting, and he berated his wife. He was like, "See what you made me do!" And then they had to go and get some expensive because it was black canvas. It was black primed canvas. So then they had to go and get this special black paint to go over the fact that they'd ruined it with a cup of tea. And then she had to dot over it, but the dots were really small and they were selling them at Circular Key because he's a very well-known artist. He's a very well-known artist, not her. So I, I like this whole thing, that's the woman's job, but I really feel like that's, you know, that was the whole premise behind Brilliant as well. The time it takes for each dot is what makes the work shiny. The repetition makes the work shiny and invites a longer dialogue with the ancestral spirits it makes it more powerful it's a powerful conduit so that's how come i wanted to make that as an offering because it moves in itself and that because it will be shiny and it represents how much time i've sat and contemplated the work that it's imbuing that space with more with a lot of myself and a lot and it's making it a receptive space as well and the the sort of mandala-ish work from um from talk talk can you talk a bit about the context of that in talk talk yes what do we think about that i just know i wanted it i don't know why i just know i wanted it because the space was quite bare and i wanted it as a um actually i didn't envisage it the way it happened at first it was up on the back wall and it was just going to be a flag it's just going to be an Aboriginal flag, but it just didn't work at all. It was terrible. And it was still a work in progress. So I'm getting somebody to rework some of the filming on the first the first film because I think it works for the second and third film. But the first film, when I was sitting backstage and I saw it, it was like a portal. So I saw a backlit version. So because I was backstage and the projection was at the front, it was so good because everything else was black and you could just see whatever you could see. And I was like, oh, that's how I have to see it, you know, that you're looking at it from a different time or it just kind of, it takes you out of the place that we're in. I quite like that it alludes to a different space, even though, Mm. you know what I mean, that it makes the space, it makes it a multiple space. Yeah, it somehow was alien. In my in in the way I read it, and that it yes, was, it makes it another. Mm. It brings another. It's bringing instead of it being something that occurs here, it's a, it's bring it's making those other things happen outside of the theatre. In whereas when I don't know when because I'm the thing that's in there, so that was it. God, my voice sounds funny now. Mm. Sounds more preachy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.